Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. That's, that's okay. If I tell you to listen to your wife, listen to your wife. But you listen to me. You listen to me. Notice God was going after Adam, even though Eve had, was deceived and fell in the transgression. And then she gave to her husband. He didn't initially go to Eve. He didn't go to the serpent. He went to Adam. And he says, you're responsible for this, Adam. I told you not to do it. Why did you allow this to happen? Did you not tell your wife? Or if you did tell her, why is it that she is doing this? You're responsible, Adam. He said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, verse 17, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed, therefore, is the ground for your sake. Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. Pastor Rob takes us through the book of Genesis, examining the role of women and men in marriage. We learn that God made woman as a helper. She becomes a supporter of her husband. However, it is Adam who God held responsible for the temptation they fell to from the devil. We also see in Genesis that after the fall of man, God called to Adam first. Even though things for them would change, we see that Eve positioned herself always alongside her husband and supported him as they grew old. With a godly woman comes a supportive and godly wife. Let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. Remember, Eve wasn't around yet, and God told him, Adam, you can eat anything in the tree of the garden. I'm sure there are plenty of fruits, but this tree you have to stay away from. And it is simple obedience. You got all this other stuff. It's all good. But this one I need you to stay away from. And whenever you tell a child one thing to stay away from, that is the thing they're going to go toward, right? <laughs> stay away from that pudding. Stay away from that lollipop. It belongs to daddy. <laughs> right? But notice in in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that a man should be alone. And notice, I will make him a helper comparable to him. The idea there is an aid. The word helper is literally easer. This is where we get that word Ebenezer. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, Ebenezer literally means a stone of help. But Ezer by itself is just a help. God made woman to be a help to the man. He needs help. Everyone needs help, but a man needs help. He needs someone to stand by him, to be with him through thick and thin, to not be chiding against him all the time, to be one with him, to be submitted to him, to lift him up when he's discouraged, to help him. And I tell you what, that role is so significant, so significant, ladies. You have no idea how important that role is. And it's not a role that the world will applaud You will not get any accolades for being biblical in your marriage or being biblical in our culture. No one's going to pat you on the back. They're going to look at you and go, you could be CEO of this thing. Why are you submitting to him? 
You should run, just run over this guy. He's, a, he's nothing. He's no good. He's done nothing. But a godly woman will say, you know what? I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to submit to him, and I'm going to give him the opportunity to grow in this authority. And sometimes that needs to happen. Sometimes the authority is already there, and man has the authority, and he's, he's doing well, but his wife rejects it. She's always bristling against it. And other times, a man is weak, and he needs to be lifted up. And sometimes, ladies, you just have to let it flop on the ground, whatever it is, and wait for him and pray for him and just say, you know what, this is not getting done, but I know my husband's supposed to do it, so I'm just going to, not in a bad way, but I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to try and overstep my bounds. I'm just going to let God deal with this, and he will. God will deal with it, and the man will invariably step up. And, ladies, that's the hard thing. For you to do. It's hard for anyone, honestly. But notice in verse 21 of Genesis 2, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, praise God, a nap. And he slept, <laughs> and he took one of his ribs, notice, and he closed up the flesh in its place. And then the rib which he, the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The word woman literally means woe man. Woe was taken from man. Taken from man. That's what woman means. From man. You can already see the order. There was man, Adam, and then woman, a helpmeet for Adam. And notice now, after this, we know that uh, Eve was deceived by the serpent, and she gave of the fruit to her husband. And notice in the next verse, uh, in, we're looking at Genesis now in chapter 3, verses 8 through 15. You know, God didn't call the woman to task first after this lack of obedience. He called Adam to task. Because Adam is the head, and he called Adam to task. Notice verse 8 of Genesis 3. And they heard, they, Adam and Eve, after the fall, they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God called to Adam, and he said, Where are you? And it's not like God didn't know where Adam was. God knew exactly what, where Adam was and what he had just done, what they had just done. He wasn't asking for information. He was drawing him out. And notice that God didn't go to the serpent first, because the serpent was the one who de de deceived Eve. He didn't go to the serpent first. He went to Adam, because the commandment to not eat of the tree was given to Adam. In Genesis 2, verse 15 through 17, And even though the serpent deceived Eve, Adam, whom God placed headship upon, was held responsible. Adam was held responsible for all of this. In verse 10, he says, so he said, Adam, replying to God, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid. Notice, underline that word. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. Underline that word too. I had you underline those two words because write down a verse and you can look at it later, but Matthew 25, verse 25. Because whenever you are afraid and you're hiding, sin is at the door or has already been committed. Because the lack of sin is you're not afraid and you're not hiding. But the result of sin is always fear, and it's always hiding from what you've done. And he said, verse 11, who told you that you were naked? God says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, and here's the, the first lesson of passing the buck. This is where it first started right here. And the man said, well, it's the woman you gave me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And she passes the buck too. 
The woman said, well, it's the serpent. (laughs) He deceived me and I ate. And so the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, ultimately between Satan and ultimately between Jesus Christ. He shall bruise your head. Satan's going to bruise the head of the Savior, but the Savior is going to crush his heel. That's literally what it means. He's going to crush him. He's going to crush him. Jesus is going to crush him, ultimately. He has already, but there's coming a day when it's going to be done. So ladies, just because you may be capable, it doesn't mean that you should take that role. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 again. So to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception, and in pain you shall bring forth children. And notice what he says here. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. This desire can mean a number of things. The, the, the Hebrew word here supports what I'm about to share with you. And I think because of what it says here, and he shall rule over you, it seems to set up a difference. He shall rule over you. Why is that? Well, because your desire is going to be for your husband. Your desire is going to be to rule over him. You're going to resist in submitting and obeying to him. And here's the problem. Adam obeyed Eve instead of obeying God. Look with me in verse 17 now. And this is the first incidence of marital role reversal. (laughs) It says in Genesis 3.17, Then Adam said, Then to Adam, God says, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. You listen to her, Adam. You're supposed to listen to me. Why did you do that? If I told you to listen to your wife, then listen to your wife. I've done that with Abraham. Or I'm going to do that in, in, in the future with Abraham. That's, that's okay. If I tell you to listen to your wife, listen to your wife. But you listen to me. You listen to me. Notice God was going after Adam, even though Eve had was deceived and fell in the transgression. Then she gave to her husband. He didn't initially go to Eve. He didn't go to the serpent. He went to Adam. And he says, you're responsible for this, Adam. I told you not to do it. Why did you allow this to happen? Did you not tell your wife? Or if you did tell her, why is it that she is doing this? You're responsible, Adam. He said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, verse 17, and you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed, therefore, is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. Ladies, don't be discouraged and think that your life, your role, is not important. Our culture has made women feel inferior if she is not willing to grab the bull by the horns and to climb the corporate ladder and wear the suits and, and have the car and be the, the, the CEO of a company or to rise to the, the, the top of the chain. Our culture has made women feel inferior. If, if that's not in you, there's something wrong with you. Oh, you just want to be a housewife and a keeper at home? No, you poor thing. That's so horrible for you. What about all the potential? You could earn twice as much as your husband doing the same thing. And you're beautiful to boot, so you're going to get even more raises. Right? Ladies, don't feel inferior. The greatest job you could have is to be a, a wife, to be a mother, 
to be an educator, to be a tender of those things at home. And that sounds kind of old-fashioned, but I, I think biblically it's, it's correct. It doesn't mean that you have to be upset if you're working a job. No, it's not that at all. You don't have to feel condemned about that. But if your heart is such that you're like, I want to, you know, usurp. I want to, you know, sometimes, especially if you're single, you got to get a job. You may not be in that place. But challenge your heart, ladies, for those, especially for those who you are married. Where am I called to be? And if you're single, do it as unto the Lord. And just watch your heart all the time. Is my, am I willing to submit to my employer or am I going to make fun of him behind his back and say he's an idiot and I'm going to develop a, a group and we're going to go against this guy because he doesn't know what he's doing, even though he's the owner of the company. We have to be really careful about this stuff. And this is true for human nature. It's not just for women. It's true for men too. Men do the same thing. In fact, I'll be harder on my sex because I think, you know, we, we, we've, we've really got to shapen up. In our culture, we've become irrelevant. We need to rise to the occasion, brothers. Do the right things. Is it hard? Yes, it is hard. Is it going to require a lot of prayer and a lot of digging down deep? Yes, it's going to cause all of that. Is it going to cause some friction, maybe, for a little while in your family? Yes, because you haven't been doing what you should be doing. And then when you start, you're going to face opposition immediately, and you're going to get discouraged. But ladies, be about the solution. Helping your husband take that leadership role. Be glad that he's doing it, and encourage him, and get the kids in line behind it, and help them. They are to be a help meet, a helper, an aid. That's not a bad thing. That's a very good thing. Because what is the bedrock of the church? Isn't it the marriages? Isn't it the families? And when we forsake those things, what do we see right now? The, 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 the disintegration of the family unit. We see the disintegration of marriage. Even in the church, these things are happening. But a woman's role is important. Don't be like the sheep that is feeding in the field and all the while lusting and desiring for what is in the field next to them. Be content with what God has placed you in and, and be in that role and do it with all of your heart and do it well. In verse 18, remember, we just read it. God says, I will make him a helper that's comparable to him. You know, a husband needs someone helping him. You know, I love it in Ecclesiastes. It says this in verse 4, beginning in verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he fails, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. The husband and the wife and God is the threefold cord. He is the center cord, and we are entwined around him. And if we have that order right, our, our marriages, our families will be blessed. When we buck against that and we decide to do something else, we reap the whirlwind. We reap the whirlwind. In Titus chapter 2, Paul says to Titus, he says, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men, notice, be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise, notice this, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. What a great role, perhaps the greatest role while the husband is working 
And, you know, we live in a tough culture. Sometimes both parents need to be working. And, and, and you may not be trying to sustain a, a $250,000 house by the lake. Actually, it wouldn't be by the lake. It would be a lot more than that. But you, you may not be trying to sustain a, a, a really huge house. You may have a small house, and your circumstances may be such that you both have to work. You know, and God is not upset with that. But, you know, examine everything in your life and look at everything. Do we need to be in this really huge house so that we both have to work and we neglect all the other things? Couldn't we get a smaller house that's just as comfortable, just as nice, even nicer perhaps, less square footage, less to dust, and now we can be more faithful? These are just things to think about. Notice in verse 2, we're back in Second Peter chapter 3. Notice the second verse. He says, you know, our first verse, his wives likewise be submissive to your husbands, that even if some do not obey the truth or obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. I love that. When they observe, they're inspecting your life. If you live with an unsaved husband, ladies, he is inspecting your life. He is beholding it. He's watching attentively. He's viewing it. And he's viewing your chaste conduct. This conduct is pure. It's clear. It's sacred. It's chaste. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. You know, there's a saying that says, share the gospel of Jesus Christ and then, when necessary, use words. When necessary, use words. Do you know you can, you can live the life of Christ before somebody that they are compelled to ask you, what is with you? <laughs> what is about your life that is just, I don't know what it is, but I am, I'm attracted to what you have because I don't have it. There's something, there's a dynamic about your life that is very different from mine. What is it? And you can say, well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. So when they observe your chaste conduct, the idea is actions speak louder than words. People can say anything, but until it results or is demonstrated by action, it is just that. It's just talk. Let's walk the walk. Not just talk the talk. Because ladies, if you have a, a husband that is not a Christian, maybe you got saved, you both, both of you were, got married when you were unsaved, and then you get saved. Win him to Christ, not by constantly preaching at him, but by being the very best example to him. And it may take some time, but by prayer and the example, he will crack. He will crack like an egg. He's going to see, even though he's been kind of Maybe not so kind to you when he comes home from work, and yet you still are there and you're helping him, wanting to encourage him. You know, you're still taking care of the laundry, attending to his needs and having dinner ready and encouraging him and all those things. And, and even though you're a bonehead, she's still doing these things. Eventually, he's just going to shake his head and go, man, there's just something I'm missing. <laughs> what is it? Verse 3, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing of gold, or putting on of fine apparel. Rather, let it be of the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This word adornment is literally the Greek word cosmos. It's cosmos. It's, it, it literally means the, uh, the harmonious arrangement, the, the constitution, the order, the ornaments, decorations. And it speaks of the heavenly host. You look, at the, you look up in the sky on a clear night, especially if you're out in the Adirondacks or someplace where there's no lights around, and you look up and it just seems like everything is just popping out. You can see the Milky Way galaxy practically. You, know, you, can, you look and you just see all these wonderful things. It's order. 
It's arrayed beautifully. And ladies, that's the way you're to be arrayed. In the inner man. Certainly in the outward, you know, but don't let the outward outweigh the inward. In our culture, there's so much emphasis about the external and not the internal. There's a glaring disproportion here. I've known men who have married really beautiful women, models, beautiful ladies. On the outside, everything looks great. Wow. You know, their eyes are this big around. Every, all the other guys are like, wow, that's your wife. And unfortunately, not always, but sometimes, this person has no morals. This woman has no morals. She has no real personality. She's so rough around the edges that as soon as she speaks, you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Have you met people like that? Men, too. They got all the package. The outward package is there. And then you just you have a conversation with them, and you're like, got to go now. <laughs> right? Because beauty is nothing. Outward beauty is fleeting. It's fading. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Beauty is only skin deep, we've heard. Physical beauty. But down deep is where the real beauty is for a Christian woman. That's where the real beauty is. That's, where, that's what needs to come out even more so. It doesn't mean that you have to not wear makeup and all that stuff, but even challenge yourself, ladies, about why am I doing this? Why am I wearing the form-fitting clothing? And why, do I, my, why does my face look like a birthday cake? Why does my hair just so? <laughs> Glad you like that. All the ladies are going to meet me with knives afterwards. <laughs> Don't you better take it back. No, but ask yourself, honestly, there's nothing wrong with looking modest and beautiful. God has made you that way. You don't have to, you know, be plain and drab and, and put on some kind of false sense of humility. No, you can, but be careful. Be careful, ladies. You, it's your responsibility to be careful. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation. Not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Ladies, you have a responsibility to dress modestly. You know, why, why incite the desire of a man and then punish him when he responds? Isn't that what's happening in our culture? Women dress to the nines. They dress to kill, if I can use that word. And then when a man looks at her, she's like, harassment. It's like, well, you, you need to look in the mirror. Are you inciting him? It's good for the ego. All these guys are looking at me. I, I get it. Because men do the same thing. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful. You know, it's like putting candy in front of a, putting a lollipop in front of a two-year-old. Unwrapped. A blow pop. The really good one with the bubble gum in the middle. You put that in front of a two-year-old, and, say, and, and just see what he does. What is he going to do? He's going to reach out and grab it. I like that. You're inciting. Be very careful on what you do. But our, our culture, it enables lust, and then it punishes it. This is what our culture has promoted. Ladies, be a part of the solution and not part of the problem. Verse 4, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. You remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when Samuel was going to Jesse and 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time when Pastor Rob continues our study in 1 Peter. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.